back. It's Cluster Fudge. I'm here once again with Alex. Hello, hello. Welcome, Alex. Thank and you for having me. We'll start off this episode with a variety of news items. What okay. do we what do we got for the latest? Well, getting back in the whole Transformers thing, um, I did find out, I think it came out about a week and a half ago or so, that they just announced a Transformers prequel animated movie. And I stress the word animated. Okay. And that sounds very exciting. Yeah. Um, they Now, are... what does it mean by a prequel? Because there's so many continuities out there. What are they preceding? Well, from what I understand, um, they're going to be focusing on the G1 characters. I don't know if it's going to be specifically tied into G1 or maybe like kind of a spinoff of Bumblebee. But either way, it's going to take place, apparently from what I understand, solely on Cybertron. Wow. They got the director who did Toy Story 4. His name's Josh Cooley. Mm-hmm. Um, they got him to direct, and its basic plot is going to be about Optimus and Megatron's origins and their relationship, and it'll take place all on Cybertron. Okay. And I couldn't find any information if it's going to be actually animated or CGI, mm-hmm. but from the sources that I was reading, it looks like it's going to be animated, which will be very interesting. So, so like cell animation. Cell animation, right. Interesting, okay. Which I think would be really cool, and maybe they're actually going to leap off as a prequel to, you know, the Sunbow 1984 story. I think that would be... Really, really interesting. From my experience, I've read comic books, which I assume what you're assuming, where they're going to completely uh, use the original Marvel production Sunbow continuity, and they'll deviate because there's, I don't know, I think most writers want to put their own spin on stuff, or they don't want to be so tied down with so much continuity that the armies of fans are so familiar with. Mm-hmm. And because um, I remember reading a book and then the continuity goes off in the left field. I was like, that doesn't jibe because it was doing a different continuity. It okay. kind of borrowed a little from G1 animated continuity and a little bit of G1 Marvel Comics, uh, the comic book continuity, where, um, so to be specific, in Marvel Comics continuity, the whole series would take place present day, but you mm-hmm. still needed to incorporate those characters from 2005. So mm. in doing so, they needed to incorporate time travel. So they would have characters like Galvatron and Cyclonus and such time traveling back to 1985 and then doing the interactions that way. So it was Sounds a different a convoluted. It is convoluted, but they needed some sort of justification for not doing a time jump. Right. Whereas in the movie, they do a time jump mm-hmm. and you're just okay with it and move on. Mm-hmm. Any case, long story short, um, I, I I get wary when I when I hear, oh, okay, this is going to tie in with the Transformers you know. And it's like, okay, but <laughs> be patient because it probably won't to the T. No, it probably won't. I mean, listen, you got to take it with a grain of salt and mm-hmm. you can't have high expectations. But Right. Uh, you know, me personally, I don't know what you thought, but I, I I went in with zero expectations. I didn't get into the Bay movies. I went in kind of plain Jane with Bumblebee, mm-hmm. and uh, I loved it. I, I Did you watch the Bay movies at all, like any of them? I, I watched the first one. Okay. I, I wasn't a big fan, and I got five minutes into the second one, and, and when Shia LaBeouf's character goes to college and mm-hmm. his girlfriend is a transform, I, I was out. Yeah. I, I just, it was it was just way too much of a stretch for me, and mm-hmm. I, I think we had discussed this before, that it was just like, 
you know, in the original G1 series, which we're both big fans of, the robots are the central characters and the humans are secondary characters. Mm -hmm. And in the movies, they almost tried to reverse it and make the robots like these entertainment characters. And the human story was more... There were just too many human characters, and there was just too much of a jumble. The special effects were too much for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, the story wasn't great. It was too much right. of a deviated path, and even Peter Cullen and doing the voice of uh, Optimus couldn't even save it for me. I mean, I don't know. What were your thoughts on no, that? No, I totally agree. Like, I remember watching the first movie, getting excited because they'd cast Peter Cullen, mm-hmm. and because it was a live-action Transformers movie. And I thought in of itself, I was like, okay, that was entertaining. When they made a sequel of it, every little thing I had a problem with in the first movie was like... Magnified. Yeah, yeah. totally. I yeah. was like, oh, there's, there's no substance to this. Mm-hmm. And and I, I, I remember giving them a pass with the first movie thinking, okay, we didn't really develop most of the Transformers because there just wasn't time. You needed to introduce the reality of Earth and, and all that stuff get to the second movie and they are clearly an afterthought and you just were focusing on the human characters which I really didn't care that much about mm-hmm. and realizing with through interviews and subsequent sequels that Michael Bay just did not respect the Transformers as characters they were just a plot device yeah and mm-hmm. if you were going to show human characters he was just focusing on hiring a beautiful actress and it's like everything was extremely superficial. It's like you're watching this movie because you like cars. You're watching this movie because you like beautiful women. Mm -hmm. And yes, as a marketing scheme, that's going to make you money. But as a Transformers fan, that's certainly not why people are watching Transformers. You're not watching Transformers because of how hot Carly is. You know, it's right. You're just watching it because you're a fan of a, the characters, the concept, maybe the cars that they transform into, whatever. But for the most part, it's just you're a sci-fi fan and you want to see this story that you've seen unfold. Yeah, yeah, I agree. So, But I thought they did better with the Bumblebee film. Um, they did a lot of nostalgia to the 80s. They almost tried a little too hard in certain scenes, but they were true to the characters, at least they're, like, especially like Optimus Prime and some of the, the robots on Cybertron. I mean, the opening scene was incredible. The opening scene, uh, I, I have no complaints about. It yeah. is beautifully shot scene. The designs of the characters were spot on. Um, you couldn't ask for a better opening scene than that opening Decepticon Autobot battle on Cybertron. Mm-hmm. Um, the yeah, the, I thought, I think over a quarter way through the movie, I thought that the nostalgia was a little. It was getting heavy handed. Like it was. It was like it had been like ten seconds since the last new wave eighties movie, and there's just yeah. like okay, I'm look. I like these songs, but it's like I know when I'm being force fed eighties, right? You know? Right. Um, and like the plot. As a whole, it's like, okay, you've you've seen this. <laughs> you know, you've got the outcast girl. She doesn't really fit in. And then eventually she finds a way to fit in and she befriends this, uh, you know, this this car. And yada, yada, yada. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Maybe it was just I'm, I'm jaded from being an adult. Were I a kid, I'd probably be in love with this movie. Mm-hmm. Like if I weren't exposed to the story time and time again. And um, yeah, like taking away my movie experience... I, I, I think it's a good movie, but otherwise I'm like, okay, I get it. <laughs> there were there were really no surprises. For yeah, me it's it. tough because, you know, had the other movies never taken place, you would have been so like, oh man, that movie was awesome. But that mm-hmm. was the first, first one ever. That's and true, now you're yeah. just like, you know, you got all these other ones and then here, here they come in with this Bumblebee movie and it's almost like they have to save the franchise because mm-hmm. now they're knowing that Bay went in the wrong direction and... 
yeah, yeah. no, it's so right. If if yeah, so Bay already jaded me with a trans a live action Transformers movie, so it didn't even have that going for right. It. Like I didn't get excited about whoa Volkswagen Bug transforming into a robot. That's awesome. Right, I'd seen it before. So yeah, now we have that coupled with a somewhat cookie cutter plot. So yeah, yeah. So I mean, hopefully, uh, I mean, we'll see. I mean, I know, I know the whole uh, COVID stuff is going to delay all production of everything. So mm-hmm. we'll just have to keep checking and looking for the news. I'll report back and see when uh, there's any more news about this movie, and hopefully, it continues on the path. And it's something that we expect. I, you know, I'm not going to go on with any high hopes, but um, you know, I'm I'm excited to see what uh, what maybe they could do. So. All right, cool. So um, I just wanted to, uh, going back on the whole Transformers thing, I thought it was pretty funny to note. So I'd, I'd mentioned my son, Ben, before. Um, so he's four, uh, in love with the Transformers. And uh, a while back, he'd gotten a Optimus Prime and a Megatron from Transformers Cyberverse series. And they're pretty cool toys. Uh, you know, my only drawback to them is, you know, Megatron transforms into a tank. But, you know, we could that's like beating a dead horse, you know. <laughs> Anyway, which I I have no problem with because now you've you've taken out the microman mass shifting question from Transformers. Yeah, I mean you have. I, I just you know as a toy, I'm just a purist, and that's okay. that's all. But um, anyway, what's really cool about this toy is that he has a matrix of leadership in him. Um, it has like a spring loaded thing. It pops out of his chest, and it's pretty cool, and it can open up in the whole nine yards, and so. Um, Ben really, you know, loves playing with the Matrix. Well, anyway, um, he was playing with it. I guess he was playing with it too much and actually broke off Mm. from the toy. And I saw little pieces that were inside and, you know, wasn't able to be fixed. So I took the inside pieces out, which is really cool because now it has a little center component where he actually put the Matrix in. And I said, this is even better. And he goes, why? Mm. I said, well, because now you can play and you can give the Matrix to Hot Rod and turn him into Rodimus Prime and we could do it more like the movie. And he was like, oh, cool. I said, just be careful that you don't lose it. So, Mm -hmm. of course, he's four and he lost it. Right. Uh, So then he found it. And he was so excited when he found it, and he, like, held it up with, like, two hands, just like in the movie. And then he took his shirt, and he pulled his shirt, and then he put it, like, right in his chest and closed his shirt back up. And I'm like, I couldn't have had a prouder moment as a Aww. father. I'm like, he, he just put it in his chest like he was the Autobot leader. <laughs> and the it was, next leader. He was, it was just, yeah, Benjamin's Prime. It was, it was very great. cute. Yes, it was very cute. <laughs> so, I just wanted to note that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yesterday... Uh, was a big anniversary. Um, mm-hmm. As you know, uh, one year ago yesterday, we, we went to Megacon. It was uh, Alan and myself and two other good friends, old friends of ours, Peter and Jeremy. We m- met there. Um, I actually was lucky enough to get Peter Cullen, the voice of Optimus Prime, to record a personal greeting for myself. And uh, I was surprised, too, because I did have a chance to briefly interact with him and meet him. And, um, you know, I, I told him I'm, I'm a firefighter paramedic by profession. And I told him that, you know, he was a big inspiration of mine and me becoming a, a team leader and helping people out and others. And I, he was actually speechless when I told him that. And mm-hmm. for he's he's like a idol of mine. And for him to be speechless on something I did was just an incredible moment. Uh, and the recording and then following that, you know, there was a panel with him and Frank Welker. And we were all sitting up front, and uh, and you brought your daughter Jane, mm-hmm. and uh, I know you had asked them some questions, and and you know they they actually interacted with Jane, and and it was it was just an amazing, incredible experience. 
Yeah, it was for sure. It was one of those things where I'd been dreaming about meeting Frank Welker and Peter Cullen at a convention for years, maybe since I started going to conventions back in 1999. Mm. Uh, and they've never been in the Southeast, as far as I could tell. Uh, there was one incident 13 years ago where Peter Cullen was at BotCon in Orlando, but he wasn't there the day that I was able to go, unfortunately. Oh. Oh, so I had to wait another 13 years, and yeah. then he finally showed up. So um, I got to meet uh, Peter Cullen and and Frank Welker, which Frank Welker alone, you know, you say Peter Cullen as Optimus Prime has been a great influence, and he has been for me as well. He's a fantastic character, a morally upstanding hero. Um, uh, Frank Welker's career has influenced me immensely. Uh, if you don't know Frank Welker's career, Google him. Look on IMDb at Frank Welker, and you will be amazed. He literally has the record for most characters played on IMDb. Um, because not only does he do a variety of cartoon voices, he, if you watched any cartoon in the 80s, there's a high chance you heard his voice mm -hmm. on one of those. But as well as doing animal voices in a variety of films... He did the uh, the monkey from Indiana Jones. He did uh, oh, the, the snake from Anaconda. Um, and then a variety of the monsters that you would hear all over cartoons, starting with Scooby-Doo, which mm -hmm. was his starting role as uh, Fred from Scooby-Doo. Mm -hmm. His voice normally sounds a lot like Fred from Scooby-Doo. But um, look, uh, I could take most of this recording to, to list off the amount of characters he's done. But sure. he was... Dr. Claw from Inspector Gadget. He was a long list of Decepticons and a couple of Autobots as well. In fact, we've got one of the Autobots that he played in toy form mm -hmm. here in the studio. We'll talk about that later. Um, but he was Ray from the real Ghostbusters mm -hmm. cartoon. Um, and look, I'm missing stuff because it's just I don't have the time. But sure. <laughs> anyway, when you and I watched the, um, the, the end of uh, Transformers the movie, it was just like... The characters kept going and yeah, going when you right. saw Frank Welker's yep. name. It was like, how did he play all those characters? Right, because he was alphabetized and his name was the last one at yeah. Welker or something like that. <laughs> was, I think, or maybe it was Orson Welles. Was like, either way, whatever. Mm -hmm. But yeah, you saw this whole long list. It just kept going and going. It's yeah. like, wow. Yeah. But yeah, just um, Frank Welker's career, just un unbelievable. And so as a result, I've been able to pick out his voice even when he is uncredited. Uh, I will go to the, like, see... The American Adventure uh, experience at Epcot, mm -hmm. and in there he voices at least two of the characters on there. I just know it from recognizing it. Mm -hmm. And so I'll turn to whomever I'm sitting next to, my wife or my daughter. I was like, that was, that was Frank Welker. It's like, oh, okay, leave me alone. <laughs> but, but, like, I always right. have to give credit to, to where it happens. Anyway, so uh, Alex fortunately had the foresight to record the panel of uh, Peter Cullen and Frank Welker. And I had been waiting so long to ask them a question. Uh, so I was waiting in line and Alex had been recording other people's questions. My question com comes up and here's the recording of my interaction with Peter Cullen and Frank Welker. Enjoy. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Gentlemen, you are national treasures. Thank you so much for coming. Thank you. Um, my three best friends in the world are here of the last 25 years because we all love your work so much. And my seven-year-old daughter is here for the same reason. She is. She's right there in the front row. 
Hi. Hello. She's That's watching your... Papa over there? That's your Papa? Yep. Oh. Uh, she's checking. <laughs> she says, yep, begrudgingly. I'm the dada. Um, she's watched every episode of Transformers. She's watched every episode of The Garfield Show. She loves your work, and I have to say, both of you, every time I hear your voice, I turn to the person next to me and I'm like, that was Frank Welker. As, when I watched the, the show Transformers with my daughter, I was like, those last four characters that spoke, those were Frank Welker. Like, what's, what's her name? My daughter's Jane. Jane? Yeah. Hey, Jake, this is Garfield the cat. <laughs> oh, boy, you got any lasagna in your refrigerator? I'd be more than happy to come home and be your cat. But you gotta let me sleep late and eat lots of lasagna. It was in the 1990s that my friends and I watched the VHS copy of Transformers the movie and finally saw the credit for what characters you guys played. You weren't credited in the show for specifically who you played, so we finally got to understand whose voice was what. It's like, oh wow, Ironhide was Optimus Prime, I didn't know that. And Megatron was, oh my god! <laughs> like, it's amazing the amount of work you guys done, and particularly Frank, with You've got the record on IMDb of how many characters you've played in Hollywood. It's mind-blowing. Um, well, thank you, but I, I write that particular <laughs> call. <laughs> Heavyweight championship bestowed upon Frank Welker by Frank Welker. <laughs> I live in Orlando today because I was approved by Miss Susie Lum to perform the character Crush from Finding Nemo at Turtle Talk with Crush. I also play characters at the Monsters Inc. Laugh Floor. I've played a Bunsen Honeydew at the Muppet Mobile Lab in Epcot as well. Largely because I've been influenced by the work that you guys have done through my childhood. So thank you so much. Thank you. What, what's your name? My name is Alan. Alan? Let's hear it for Alan. Thank who's, you. Who's making a bunch of kids lives great out of the cards. I've met and worked with people that you've worked with, and when I find out that they've worked with you, I met um, Rusi Taylor and her husband Wayne 15 years ago, and they came backstage after a show I did for them. And it, she told me that she's the voice of Minnie Mouse, uh, Webigail from DuckTales, and a bunch of others. When I found out she was Baby Gonzo, I said, oh my God, you worked with Frank Walker. <laughs> and I'm so honored to work with people and, and meet people that are do the industry that you guys are so successful in. But it's an extra bonus to find out that they've worked with either one of you. So my actual question is, are you guys going to come back to Orlando in the future? <laughs> Have they shown you a good enough time? I think that would be yes, would it be? Oh, I, love, I love Orlando. Yeah, Thank you. Great. Thank you so much. Thank you. Maybe you can score them a couple free passes to Disney World. <laughs> Up next. Okay, now we're back. <laughs> so, by the again, thank you so much for recording that. I would not have that to this day if if you hadn't thought to to hit record on your your phone. Yeah, I I just um, you know it was great. I mean, I even I remember even before before your question, I think I had a little bit of a panel that uh, Cullen told a story which I tell all the time, which I'll share, which was really really funny. I guess uh, was it Cullen or what? Wel no, I think Welker. 
I don't know. One of them was telling the story about when they received the scripts for the Transformers, the movie. And so Frank called Peter up and said, hey, Peter. And he's like, hey. He's like, uh, did you get the script for the movie? He's like, yeah, I got it right here. He's like, did you look through it? Uh, <laughs> no, not yet. He's like, go ahead and turn to page 17. Mm-hmm. And he goes to page 17, and he's like, uh, okay. And then he's like, uh, yeah, keep going. And he keeps going, and he's just like, oh, my God, I'm not in this movie. He's like, they're offing me. Mm-hmm. They're offing me in this movie. <laughs> he's like, oh, my God. And it was like his realization. He's like, yeah, I can't believe it. They're offing me, too. Mm-hmm. So, like, it was just a funny moment. I mean, you could tell that they're friends for so many years. Yeah. You know, and it's just really nice to see that they're, you know, the the mortal enemy adversaries in the Transformers. <laughs> but the, the humans that play them are just, like, the nicest friends. They tour together. Right, they just right. have this good relationship for, you know, 40-plus years. It's It's really cool. Yeah, so. um, and again, I'm such a huge... We're both are. We're big 80s cartoons fans. I mean, like, watch uh, Chippendale Rescue Rangers. Mm-hmm. You know, you've got uh, Frank Welker is Zipper, and um, Peter Cullen is Monterey Jack. And it's just like, that's a whole list of uh, Dungeons and Dragons. Like, the Unicorn Uni and Venger, the villain, is Peter Cullen on the Dungeons and Dragons cartoon. And yeah, there's just a whole list of shows they've worked on together throughout the years that uh, we we often forget or overlook because the iconic thing is the Transformers. Sure. And, and you know, as a young kid, too, uh, you know, you watch the Transformers and you don't even think that there's, like, humans voicing these characters because you're so young and you're just like, they're the actual robots. Right. That's how they talk. And then later on, they got lazier, I don't know, whatever the word is, with the recordings and a couple of the season three episodes, the post-movie episodes, they forget to you know, digitally dub Soundwave's voice, and he actually sounds yeah. like Dr. Claw, and right. I'm watching Inspector Gadget at the same time, and I'm like, why does Soundwave sound like Dr. Claw? Right. And then you look, and then you do some research, and you figure it out, and you're like, oh, this guy did this, and this guy, mm-hmm. and then their actual voice, and then it's when you start to learn, and you see, you know, what things happen, so, mm-hmm. yeah, it was pretty cool. Yeah. So, that was a, that was a great experience. So, yes, we have... Uh, I brought a toy. All right, so we, we have, have, as as is promised, a, a Frank Welker Transformer, That's but it's right. not who you might think. This is actually one of the few Frank Welker Autobots that he played, uh, and I'll name the rest of them who aren't here. <laughs> so <laughs> Frank Welker uh, played Trailbreaker. He played Wheelie in season three and the movie, and he also played yeah. <laughs> Nobody He's kind of the Wheelie. Jar Jar Binks of the Transformers. Alex say, Wheelie, go away. So, let's, yeah, <laughs> so let's here we have um, one of my favorite characters. He's the character that actually saves the day in the original Mary's miniseries, mm-hmm. uh, Mirage. Mm-hmm. And I, I have such a, a, a warm spot in my heart for Mirage because he's the unlikely hero. He hates war. He doesn't like to fight. All he wants is to go back home, which I think we can all relate to when we're separated from our homes. Mm-hmm. And um, in the end, he's the one that sneaks on board the uh, Decepticon ship and shoots up their dashboard, says, I'll say hi to Prime for you, and jumps out the window like a true hero. true hero. And uh, (laughs) where Prime fell short, Mirage saved the day. I I, I love that final scene of Transformers more than meets the eye. But uh, we've got Mirage here in... What's this? Transformers Siege War of Cybertron War for Cybertron Trilogy. Okay. They have some cool toys. I think they're the same line that made the Seekers um, and so forth. So. so when you say the Seekers, it's the Decepticon um, jets. jets, but they're in their Cybertron versions? Correct. Okay. Correct, yeah. So, um, 
got the toy. My son is a big fan of Mirage. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, take him out and play with him. It, mm-hmm. It's a pretty good character. Um, you know, he looks pretty good. I did have an opportunity a little bit before to go ahead and, and play with him. And it seemed very complicated to try to transform. And I was following the directions and I was I was struggling with him. I mean, he there's so many moving parts. I mean, as you can see here, I'm pulling off his top and he kind of extends. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, wheels kind of flip around and, and uh, you have to do like a lot of interesting things with the arms to get him to get into car form. Um, but I, I think it's very well made and, um, it, it was, it was pretty cool to transform. It took some doing, um, but I was able to get him into car form and, uh, play with him like that. He comes with two weapons, um, and he has many different areas, which is pretty cool to put them on. He can put them in his fists. He can put them on his shoulders. He can even put them on, uh, on the sides of his arms. There's, um, a little part where you can put the weapons in, which also translate to his spoiler, Mm-hmm. Uh, in vehicle mode, which is where the weapons go when he's in vehicle mode. Right. So there's a lot of options, which is really cool because I know kids and myself like to have a lot of different options of where to put weapons to stimulate your imagination of how they're going to attack and so forth. Sure. And a, a way to keep from losing them. Yes, that's a big thing too. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, the only negative I really thought with this toy, uh, besides being complicated to transform, but still kind of fun because I, I, I like a little challenge. Uh, is that he doesn't roll very well in vehicle form. And I always hate mm. that. I always like when they're just very clean and crisp in vehicle form and I could, I can run them down the, the countertop, mm-hmm. you know, and, and it's cool. And the wheels don't, the wheels themselves. They're uh, a little stiff. They're a little stiff. They don't mm-hmm. spin very well. Okay. Uh, they, they don't line up very well between the front wheels and the back wheels. Okay. Um, I mean, you could still play with them in car mode very well and use your imagination. Mm-hmm. But um, I really have to feel for these engineers because <laughs> they're given this task of we want it to be screen accurate, you know, and then it's like right. they, they try to hide the wheels like on the cartoon, especially in that first season. The wheels are completely invisible in robot mode. And they did their best to do that with the rotating um, wheel hubs there. Right. And in doing so, it sounds like there's the problem in vehicle mode where they, they, the axles don't line up. Yeah, so I would have preferred that a little bit better mm-hmm. if uh, if the wheels had, had worked a little bit better. But, I mean, other than that, it, it is a fun toy. I'm, I'm kind of struggling to go ahead and find a <laughs> way to do it there. Um, let me can play around with it if you want. But. Yeah, I'm, I'm probably not going to do this justice, but uh, in... Yeah, in uh, from going from robot mode to vehicle mode, yeah, I'm <laughs> I just have flashbacks to me breaking my original Jazz at the waist. He came apart, and I think did you did you have j- uh, not Jazz Mirage? Did you have a Mirage original? I did not have an original Mirage. Okay, no. I had an original Mirage, and actually, where this swivels at the waist, mm-hmm. that snapped apart, and I think that was a common thing for Mirage to snap apart at the waist because it was a very weak a plastic joint mm. doing that twist together. But I have to say, I love that they maintained that aspect of the toy mm-hmm. because you, you still have the, the visual of him looking so much like the original toy, but furthermore looking even more so like the original car G one. Um, well, the G one robot mode of, of mm-hmm. the toy. And uh, it was such a, because there was some imagination involved. The designers of the cartoon wanted to make them look a little more humanoid than toy robot-like. 
the toy robots were more of an afterthought of, of the diaclones. Right. You started as a car and then I was like, okay, how do we make these robots? So they would just, you know, do whatever. And it's like, okay, this doesn't look like a human. It's like, well, they're not supposed to be humans. They're supposed to be piloted mechs. And that's, that's what they went with. Like via, you know, Optimus Prime, he doesn't have a visible face, right. but it's like, you didn't need a visible mouth, so to speak, because he was just supposed to be a vehicle, even in robot mode. Yeah. So, um, it's a pretty cool toy. I'm I'm gonna give it uh, definitely my recommendation mm-hmm. to go ahead and pick up. It was a fun toy to transform. It was challenging. I was I was very impressed with my son who took it from uh, vehicle form and transformed it ninety percent of the way back to robot form without any help and without looking at the directions. Made me feel kind of silly, but uh, <laughs> you know, I mean, I don't know. Kids kids are just they they got some ingenuity. They're a little rough with the parts, of course. Yeah, they can be. But. Um, but yeah, that was uh, I, I definitely recommend as a as definitely a cool uh, conversation piece and a toy to play with. Um, I might take you up on this recommendation. Yeah, <laughs> this this looks like my daughter would enjoy this as well. I wouldn't well. mind hearing the comparison too about you know the original one. I like how the the front sides here they like fold out from here and then they kind of move up, and then you put the bottom like the legs are kind of hidden and the, the inside the legs like the bones of what you say be the legs kind of form the front of the car like this you see oh um okay yeah. so this, this is one of those here. fake outs okay and then, so and then mm-hmm. the part goes back there it's kind oh of wow awesome. yeah yes okay so There's as you're probably well parts, aware really it, in robot mode the original was uh the the head okay so in so the car mode the, the formula one racer in the original toy the front spoiler where the front wheels are folded down and that would reveal the face. Okay. Where this simulates that in robot mode in that you still see the remnants of the front spoiler, but it's more of a fake out because the actual front spoiler of car mode comes from his leg area. Mm-hmm. And this is the designer's attempt to make it look more screen accurate. They did something similar to this with a star screen that I saw where there's a false cockpit on the robot's chest in robot mode mm-hmm. but when you transform him the actual cockpit of his jet mode comes from a different area of the robot and again this oh. is an attempt to make it look screen accurate in both robot and vehicle mode and I always marvel because there really is not a lot of credit given to not just the artists but the engineers mm-hmm. that have to say what goes where and how are we going to make this look good yeah. And I guess that the engineers that designed this probably did grow up with these things because they're our age, mm-hmm. right? So, yeah, that's so so fascinating to me. Yeah, I I, I really did enjoy the the transformations and 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 how it changed. It, they 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 did a good job with it. It's, mm-hmm. it's that makes it a lot of fun too. Where the wheels fold in, they fold out. I like how like the joints have these little. I don't know if the original ones had these, but they have these little pins on them right here, and they have little ports where they go in so they can kind of snap together. Well, it certainly so, didn't. I mean, the original one, it was a very, very simple transformation. Right. Um, the, the Like, in robot mode, the, the panel on his chest would fold forward, hiding his face, and he would essentially lay down and then twist at the waist 180 degrees, mm. and then things would line up that way, and that's essentially how you transform G1 Jazz. Oh, jazz, it's Mirage. Mirage. I keep saying Jazz. Yeah. I have a Jazz downstairs, maybe from this series, and that's why I keep getting reminded of it. But yeah, this is Mirage, folks. 
Sorry. And even here, like the, the the wheels, they're they're hidden in in vehicle mode or in robot mode, and then they pop out for vehicle mode, which is pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Stuff like that. So, um, you know, in the end of the day, um, I definitely highly recommend it. Um, I, I did have the opportunity to play a little bit more with the Alpha Trion piece. I transformed him into his car mode. It's a very simple transformation. It's like it's kind of like the old Transformers. It's about like three three steps and you're there. It's a cool little Cybertronian vehicle. It looks mm-hmm. better in robot form as a conversation piece. Mm-hmm. So I would recommend that. But this Mirage is actually a lot of fun to play with. Um, like I said, the only negative I'm going to see, I like the, the multiple weapons. I like the transformation. I like the look mm-hmm. in both robot and car form. I just I don't like how it doesn't roll. Mm. Um, that's the only the only thing I would change is is you know upgrade the wheels a little bit. So I guess that was one advantage that G One Mirage has over the Siege Mirage. Right, it was designed as a car first. Yes, and I know a lot of them would have the. I mean, I loved I had Hound, and I loved how Hound had the uh, the rubber wheels, the mm-hmm. rubber tires, and everything. It mm-hmm. just it just made it look look good. So not sure. Anyway. All right. I had spoken last uh, last episode about watching V, and um, yes. I think you were uh, you were able to uh, watch some. I of got that. to see the original 1983 miniseries V, which uh, when it originally aired, I was not old enough to appreciate it or old enough to be brave enough to watch. Uh, (laughs) I I, I remember the concept really disturbing me. Um, People that looked like uh, people, but were really aliens and underneath they looked like lizards and that they would swallow rodents whole. And Mm -hmm. it was uh, something that I couldn't handle, but other kids in um, that I went to school with, they could, and they were talking all about it. So I, I overheard some stuff about scenes here and there, but now watching it as an adult, I really know that I couldn't have appreciated it as a child. And uh, oh, not at all. It it's, it is it is subtext. great. It's yeah. a great allegory, and and even overtly, like they they really do characters in the show point out the parallels to uh, fascism, Nazi Germany, etc. Um, but it, it was really an interesting sci-fi take on things like propaganda and, um, you know, picking your side, I guess you could say, which we certainly go through today. We are a divided country for sure. Yeah. Um, I mean, like you said, the, the, the overt topics that, but I mean, you know, what's great, especially in that first episode is just how the visitors come in and they just take over the media mm-hmm. and and posters and propaganda yep. and spread the fear of scientists mm-hmm. that's because they know scientists are the only one that could find out their true nature and then just ostracize them from society right and you know it, it it's especially refreshing to kind of, i don't know if refreshing is the right word but to watch that now based on everything that's been going on in our world with you know what to believe with coronavirus mm-hmm. and everything um you know, it's it's a it's a cool take, and there's a there's a lot of really cool characters in it. I just love Kenneth Johnson's work. Um, yeah. You know, not to give too much away for people who haven't seen it, but uh, I just want to know if you noticed in the first episode uh, a lot of scenes where you know basically a lot of the characters come from the same small suburban community, and there's a lot of scenes where they're either out, they're watching, they're looking at the flying saucers, or they're talking to each other outside, and the sprinklers are on. And they're on in, in the yard here, and they're on in the yard over here, and there's just like constantly the sprinklers on, and you think to yourself, why, why are the sprinklers on in every scene? It looks like they're getting wet, but it's a foreshadowing. 
hmm. to what you learn later. Yes. Um, do we want to do the, the rundown of, of the, the overall show, or do we just want to tell our, our, our takes on the show as a whole? Uh, to you, man. Whatever whatever you feel. Okay, well, I'll, I'll do my best to retell what I recall from the show. Uh, great opening scene. We have a couple of reporters that are reporting in, is it El Salvador, yeah, some, I think? Yeah, some Central American There's country. There's some sort of rebellion in a Central American... It's Central American, right? Not I South think so, American. yeah. But it's a... Yeah, so anyway... There's some sort of rebellion going on, which also I remember in the early 80s there was a rebellion in a South American country mm-hmm. um, that made the news a lot. So I think that's why this was topical. Anyway, there's a rebellion. They're videoing everything. They're about to die because the warlords are flying in their helicopter with their machine guns and they're about to shoot down these reporters escaping from a refugee camp or rebellion camp. And they're stopped in their tracks and they they fly away. What makes them fly away? Well, they see this gargantuan flying saucer in the sky. And they're appearing all over the world. And all over the major cities. Every major city has a flying saucer. Again, we see that years later in Independence Day, which ripped off mm-hmm. every science fiction movie we know. Yeah. And, um, and we, we, we learn who these aliens are. Apparently, they look just like us, except their voices sound a little bit digitally modulated Mm -hmm. for whatever reason. And uh, they say, we need your help, Earth. We we, we need this uh, mineral for our home planet where we're dying without it. And apparently, we're fine with that because it's not a big deal for us to spare this mineral. Uh, Long story short, that's not exactly what they're here for. Um, but in the process, we learn things about the aliens. They don't really look like us. They actually look more like lizards, and they eat mammals and birds and such. And um, they uh, they they have been lying to us the whole time. And um, yeah, that's that's about all I can say to to sum it up. There's there's a big rebellion that gets formed from the people of Earth, and at the end of this series they're really the good guys don't win so to speak they just make a little bit of headway they make a little bit of headway i mean yeah the the ultimate goal is you know they spread fear and propaganda and then take over the media outlets and uh like i said before ostracize the scientists and try to uh assert their power and get their way and get what they really came for um i do find it interesting at the end of the first two parts this is kenneth johnson's involvement so he at the very end of the second part, which cleared up the original V miniseries, they send a beacon out to help uh, find other people, other aliens, because it's mentioned before by the visitors that they have an enemy, a different race of aliens, which is against them. So the humans are trying to reach out a beacon to see if these other aliens will come help them. So that's where the story ends, and then we'll, in subsequent episodes, we'll get into V the final battle. They don't go that route, but they still continue with the same characters and the same basic storyline, but without Kenneth Johnson. But 20 Mm. years later, in 2009, which I'm going to order the book, Kenneth Johnson wrote a novel, which continued from where he left off, Hmm. which involves the aliens that the humans called out for. Wow. And it goes on a completely different take, and, and... at the end of V, the final battle, the humans win. They kind of wrap up the whole story. But in Kenneth Johnson's version, we're still under visitor rule for a full 20 years later. Wow, yeah. And, huh. and uh, you know, it's interesting. So hmm. Yeah, I'll have to check that out. Sounds so, good. But, yeah, but, I mean, you know, so the original miniseries, it came out in, what, 1983? You're watching it for the first time, and you yeah. felt it really held up? I was impressed because 
first of all, it's not just like watching a movie from 1983 because movies had huge budgets, right? So right. if you're watching Return of the Jedi from 1983, it's, it, it holds up relatively well because it's got cutting edge technology and a huge budget. So you can understand why it would hold up. Something that was a mini series for television, which might get rerun maybe once because the networks only have so much airtime to spare. How does the viewership justify the amount of money they sunk into this thing? They didn't just reuse stuff. So speaking of Star Wars, you watch Phantom Menace, you're like, oh, that Jedi communicator is clearly a Lady Bick, you know? <laughs> okay. Um, I didn't see that here. I'm like, these sets look like they're made from scratch. I don't know. I don't recognize this from anything. Or right. it's not a reused thing. It's it's made for this. So you'd watch uh, Star Trek from 50 years ago, and it's like, okay, they reused this from this other TV show or this from this other thing. I don't know what they were reusing in V. Another thing, Star Trek. Star Trek Generations. A Thrustmaster flight stick comes out from the Enterprise's console for Riker to, to fly mm -hmm. the saucer section that's right yeah in the crash landing you're like you recognize that from the real world I didn't recognize anything from the real world in this show I was just really impressed by how many things they had created just for this show and I just I, I'm my mind is blown away by how they were able to either cut corners that I didn't notice or I don't know they I, I'm just <laughs> the show that's 35 years old I'm like how how'd they do that well they they don't do so much anymore but you know back in the 70s 80s early 80s especially they did a lot of miniseries that was like the big thing especially during sweeps month so I mean mm -hmm. you had roots was like a huge thing in the 70s right you know I know they did like war and peace war and remembrance they did that north and south series mm -hmm. in the 80s from what I remember being a little kid I hadn't seen any of those but um, that was their big like seller point to grab you in your sweeps month. Like V premiered in May. That was the big sweeps month. You know, mm -hmm. May of '83. V in the final battle was May of '84. Mm -hmm. um, you know, they make this like this huge television event, and it's just like this is what everybody's going to watch mm -hmm. on these two days. And the ratings. I mean, I don't know the actual numbers, but the ratings were like through the roof. I mean, they promote the crap out of it. Mm -hmm. They put it on during sweeps month. It's different than anything else, right? And and here you go. And yeah. so they're and I guess the when you have just three major networks, this predates even Fox broadcast, right? So and cable was around, but they in didn't infancy. play. Yeah. It was in its infancy, like and cable was a daytime thing. Yeah. When, once you got into the primetime hours, even cable companies were like, ah, just whatever. <laughs> you yeah, know, pretty much. HBO would off, show or... like old movies, but for the most part, most cable companies or cable networks, they wouldn't show anything during primetime. So you really had no competition. Versus, you know, was this on NBC? NBC, yeah. So their only competition was CBS and ABC, mm -hmm. whatever they're airing at the time. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I guess the the majority of the the country is just watching that. So uh, gives a thumbs up. For, oh, for sure. For, okay. for sure. Like I I think the the effects don't come off as hokey. I mean, like, look, if you're watching something that's 35 years, you you, you expect it to not look like something from today. Fine, but at the same time, the story is solid. Mm -hmm. And the the effects, like, 
look, I can watch something that's even newer than this, like say an episode of Next Generation that came out several years later, and you're like, oh, well, that's CGI. That's CGI. Mm -hmm. You know, and there's a lot of practical effects that they're doing in this show. The sets, you know, the whether it be on one of those fighters or the, the, the mothership or these all these interior shots where you have this futuristic looking paneling. I was particularly impressed overall. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, definitely it's a, it's a show. If you have not sh seen it, I advise you to watch this and not the newer version of V, which I guess was what came out in 2009. Mm -hmm. uh, they, they went with this different, a, a reboot, a, a remake of V starring Marina Baccarin and uh, Laura Vandervoort. And I think the concept there revolved more around, look at these beautiful aliens that yeah. are landing here versus what the original show was all about, which was more of uh, propaganda mm -hmm. and The such. content, the writing was just a lot yeah. better. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I agree. And on that same note, I'd recently watched... Um, a movie, um, we watched it over at the uh, fire station, and it was called Snowpiercer. It's something I always wanted to see. Mm -hmm. had a very interesting concept. It came out maybe six or seven years ago, and I thought it was interesting because I saw an ad that said that they have a TV show, which is actually premiering tonight on TNT. Mm -hmm. uh, apparently, it was based on a graphic novel. I think it was a French graphic novel from a while ago. Um, and the main plot, I mean, just sounds really new concept and interesting. The whole world, it's post-apocalyptic. The whole world's decimated by a great freeze. Mm -hmm. The entire population of the world lives on a train. Okay. The novel says it's an 1,000-car train. Mm. They explain it a little, and somehow they've made where a track can actually literally go around the world. For some reason, they have tracks that connect, whatever. Okay. Um and it's a very advanced train and Snowpiercer because... And this like, is a moving train? It's a moving train. Wow, okay. Yeah, a moving train that constantly goes around. Mm -hmm. It actually takes one full year to go around the Earth, so huh. the same place that you're in is the same date every year kind of thing. Hmm. Um, and it's a very interesting movie. I can't... The, it, it, it's a lot. It's a lot deeper than you would think. There's sci-fi elements. There's mm -hmm. a little... Graphic violence, if you're okay with it, um, not too much, but a little bit. Um, but but the it's very intelligently written. They they really make it show where they have like the back of the train is the lower classes, mm. the middle of the train is like the middle class, and right. the front of the train is the upper class. Mm -hmm. And as the there's a revolt. I'm not going to spoil the whole plot of movie, but there's mm -hmm. a revolt happens early in the movie where the people in the back of the train are just sick of living like garbage mm -hmm. and they revolt and they start moving their way up the train and you see how the class has changed as they keep going up mm -hmm. um and finally make it to the front of the train mm -hmm. and there's some twists and turns during along the way right but it was very compelling it was very like where are we going with this kind of makes you think mm -hmm. and uh you know, I, I enjoyed it, and it had a it had a good conclusion. It didn't really leave you cliffhung or anything like that. Like, right. oh, when's the next one going to come out? Um, I thought it was a good story from beginning to end. I thought it was pretty well acted, and I, I would definitely recommend um, checking that out. I'm a little on the edge about the TV show. Um, you know, it's a two-hour movie, and it told a full story. Mm. How's that going to translate to a three-, four-season show or more? Right. You know, that's, that's going to be a little... 
a little tough. I don't know if they're going to have like flashbacks to how the world got like this. Mm-hmm. They they touch on it in their first five or ten minutes about greenhouse effect. They try to save the atmosphere. It backfires. And, mm-hmm. But um, what was interesting is that my buddy watching the movie, he told me this kind of that a lot of people believe that it was a pseudo sequel to Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Okay. And so I, I was like, what? And mm-hmm. I watched this movie and I'm like, how is that about Willy Wonka? And mm-hmm. he goes, and then he started explaining about how he ties in. So it had been a long time since I've seen Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Maybe right. I need to rewatch that. And then maybe I would have a new appreciation for the Snowpiercer about how they thought it would tie in. But I think that's really just a fan theory. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of correlation by what he was explaining. And I see that, but you can go any which way with it. But at the end of the day, I thought it was a unique concept because you're, you know, I'm tired of all these retread movies and yeah. reboots and all this other stuff. And right. Even though this is based on different, uh, something already an established source material, it's something that most people have never heard of. Oh, for sure. And yeah. it's still fresh. Mm-hmm. And it's still an interesting, oh, a train that goes around the world and it doesn't mm-hmm. stop. And you're like, well, why, you know, how does it not stop? And I mean, mm-hmm. they explain it. You yeah, know, yeah. they give you an explanation throughout the movie and it's, it's enough to keep you going. Mm-hmm. So. No, I'm curious now. I want to check that out. Yeah, so... Uh, so that's available, what, online, streaming? Is yeah, it, online streaming. I'm not sure what, what medium. I think we watched it... Uh, oh, no, we watched it on Netflix. It's on Netflix. Oh, it's on Netflix. It Fantastic. On Netflix. That's All where right. we watched it, yes. Excellent. I'll check it out soon. So, uh, Snowpiercer, I do recommend that. All right, cool. So... Let me get your thoughts on that big battle that's going on between the movie theaters and Universal Movie Company. Okay, so there was the COVID-19 pandemic that we're currently going through as of this recording, and the issues that were that, uh, well, people can't see movie theater movies. So first-run movie theater movies, um, you know, what do you do? So many companies will go direct to streaming, um, Disney did this with um, one of their recent movies that went directly to their own streaming service, yeah. Disney Plus. Mm-hmm. And Universal did this with a Trolls movie. And yeah, it was they, a Trolls sequel. Trolls they went World straight War. to Amazon, right? Because you can rent it from Amazon. I'm not sure what source they went through, but yes, they went through somewhere where you can video on demand it. Yeah. I, I think, well, not just Amazon. It's probably just all of them, like Google movies and all that. Um, so what the typical deal for a first-run movie to rent would be like a 1999 rental, which seems steep for a rental, but figure if you're in a house with four or five people, you know, you're spending roughly $4 per ticket mm-hmm. to, to watch it. So, you know, it's, that's the deal that's arrived. So apparently some movie theater companies got upset with Universal about this. Yeah, I think it started with uh, with Regal and... Um... Or I'm not sure if it started with AMC, but either one. I think it was AMC, actually. Um, and they came out and said, uh, well, what Universal said was, well, this works so well for Trolls World Tour that in the future we're going to release all movies, video on demand, and in the theater at the same time. Oh, so going forward is what they said. Going forward, yeah. So outside of the restrictions for COVID-19, right. they want to continue this So they weren't model. upset about this because oh, the theaters have to be closed. They were right. upset in the future, and AMC's like, wait, wait, wait. Yeah. You know, we have an agreement that we have exclusivity for to go ahead and run. show your first-run movies, right. and now you're finding another source. You never talked to about it mm-hmm. with us. You never negotiated that with us. 
I said, you're kind of breaching your contract here. Sure. And so they, they drew a line in the sand and they said, well, we just won't run any of your movies. Play all your damn movies on on mm. on demand and, and see how that goes for you. Okay. And uh, Regal, two days later, followed suit and said, you know what? We agree with AMC. We don't mm-hmm. like what you're doing. We're out too. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, wow. This yeah. is this is gonna get this is getting bloody. Like both sides are digging their <laughs> digging their right. feet in the sand because you know my personal thing is that Universal ha- did wrong yeah. by by their vendor. It's a partnership, right. and you, there's an agreement. There's an agreement, and mm-hmm. and you got to honor it. And you know if Universal does not want to go that that way, and they want to try the video on demand market, I mean you know good luck to you. That'll work for Trolls World Tour. But, you know, when Top Gun Maverick comes out, me mm-hmm. personally, I want to go see that in the theater. Yeah. You know, I don't have a 200-foot screen in my house that I could go watch that movie. You know, mm-hmm. I want to see that with the Dolby Digital sound and the, you know, in the in the comfy seats and the whatever and however you want to see it in 3D right. or where they bring food to you. That's your own personal preference. But I want to see it on a big screen with the sound, with the mm-hmm. jets flying around like how it was meant to be. I right. don't want to watch it at home. Right. And, and we have so many options of things to watch at home is the thing. Right. So, yeah, it's like, and if you truly want to see something at home, what do you do? You wait a couple months and then it winds up at home. So right. th- you have that option going for you. But yeah, if if we're going to allow the, the, the movie theaters to survive, and there is a demand for, like what you say, a group experience, if we're going to allow them to survive, there needs to be a team effort. So production companies like Universal, Warner Brothers, Disney, they all do need to have an agreement with the theaters to help them survive or else they will start folding. Same thing with comic book stores. This has been a debate for some time now where now we're moving towards a digital Mm -hmm. comic book uh, medium and people are realizing, hey, it's super convenient to just zap it to my device. I don't even have to step foot in a comic book store. What happens to all the stores? They fold. Now you're losing a community where people will meet, interact. Mm-hmm. You might have a, a relationship with your comic book store owner mm-hmm. and you learn about new stories or you learn about new whatever. Yeah. Or you could buy, you know, the, the variety of merchandise off the shelves, statues, posters, whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, having those go away, I don't think anyone truly wants them to go away. But in not having them go away, there needs to be an agreement from publishing companies. So things like Marvel and stuff have agreed. We're not going to release on our subscription service, a new comic book for six months after the original comic book hits the shelves on a comic book store. Oh, it's great that they did that. Yeah. I didn't know about that. And okay. also they charge the same amount of money. If you want to buy a digital version of your comic book on your device, it's not going to be, you know, quote unquote at cost because you're paying twice as much of the cost at a comic book store than you would of the actual cost. Long story short, Marvel gets a cut of half the price you're paying at the register. Okay. The other half goes directly to the comic book store owner. Whereas, so if they were to do it at cost, Marvel would say, okay, our digital version is not the comic book store cut. We're going to charge half, which would mm-hmm. completely destroy the comic book store mm-hmm. retailers. So they've, they, there is, there has been an agreement to, to try to prop up the comic book stores. And I think as a result, people do want the comic book stores to stay around. Same thing with movie theaters. 
we still want movie theaters to be around, even if they are quote unquote less convenient than going to your living room and turning on your TV. But there is an experience that you can't quite simulate in your living room, which is the group opening weekend, you know, oh, yeah. everyone cheering, laughing at the same time. Mm-hmm. For that to go Dressing the way of the dinosaur would yeah. be a huge tragedy. So, yeah. yeah, I'm glad that there is an effort to keep these places around. Having said that, Universal is not doing that in this case. So I don't know what their deal is because they don't have a streaming service, really. I know that NBC Peacock is coming out. Maybe that's what they're looking towards. I don't know. But Disney hasn't done this, and they have Disney+. Plus. You know, They haven't right. said, after COVID-19, we're just going to do exactly what Universal's doing. So I don't know what Universal's endgame is here. Um, but I'm glad that the theaters are sticking up for themselves. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I think the populace as a whole that don't want movie theaters to fold will probably support what, what the theaters are doing, I think. And it's very tough, too, because, you know, I mean, I've seen some of these movies, but, I mean, everybody's going, I don't know if it's cheaper or whatever, but, like, you know, Netflix is producing their own movies and Amazon's producing their own movies, mm-hmm. and they're just bypassing the theaters. And, oh, yeah. And, uh you know, I mean, that's just the way it's going. I don't know if it's, but I mean, they get like, you know, mainstream Hollywood out. You know, I watched that bird box that was out with Sandra Bullock because everybody was talking about that. I, I, I do not recommend. Okay. I haven't seen it. I, it was just, it was so silly and just, it was ridiculous. Okay. It was just, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, um, but yeah, I, I, I just, I, I hope the theaters don't go by the way of the Dodo. It's going to be really tough. I mean, if these major companies are backing out, then you got the in-home Netflix and stuff producing their own movies, and mm-hmm. then people are afraid to go outside because of social distancing and mm-hmm. and so forth. I mean, you know, I hope we don't see the, the end of the theaters, but, uh, you know, I mean, Disney has enough money. They could just make their own theaters. They could just have, like, Disney theaters. <laughs> that is true. You know, they yeah. could have two, three movies that are new releases out at once, and then two other theaters playing, you know, Cinderella and Snow White for nostalgia fans that want to go see that in the theater or something, you know, or, or whatever, know. Or just rotate their massive library stuff over and what over again. What a pain. I mean, like, I could see exactly what you're describing. Like, you could have a Time Warner theater. Yeah. You have a Disney theater. You could have an NBC Universal theater. But then you've got to be like, oh, great, I want to see Top Gun. Oh, well, that's not at the Disney Theater, is it? Which one is that at? And you got to go Yeah, and then you got to go 40 miles away yeah. to go see that. Yeah, right. and that could be a pain. Mm-hmm. So we'll see what happens. It should be interesting. Mm-hmm. So, um, Another cool p- piece of news that I, that I stumble across for all sci-fi gurus out there. Um, just a small piece of news. I thought it was interesting. So... Um, Belushi, John Belushi. So mm-hmm. John Belushi, we all know, great comic actor, died of a was a speedball overdose. I think, yeah. I think in uh, in the early eighties. Yep. Um, actually, found this interesting thing: the day that he died, mm-hmm. during the day, I think there was a party at night, and then he overdosed. You know where he was? No. He visited the set of Star Trek II: The Wrath of Khan. No kidding. Yes, and he was on set at Star Trek II: The Wrath of Khan. Why? To do. To try to get an idea to do his best Shatner impression. Okay. So he was watching the man mm-hmm. in action. Yeah. And said, I want to perfect my Shatner impression, so I'm going to go visit the set. And I thought that was actually pretty funny that his last day on Earth, unfortunately, but mm. he was there, you know, still working on his craft and be like, oh, I'm going to go over here and, and do this. And I thought that was actually a pretty cool sci-fi twist to, to you know, a great comic actor. 
Uh, yeah, I, I did not know that. That's an interesting yeah. piece of trivia. I know that um, Belushi did uh, Captain Kirk on Saturday Night Live for that episode or that sketch mm-hmm. that they did with the uh, the NBC executive shutting down the Enterprise at the end. If I you didn't see that. No, I didn't see oh, that. Oh, yeah, that was yeah. in... in the, Yeah, so on Belushi's Saturday Night Live, and I think it was Aykroyd playing Spock, if I recall correctly, um, but... Oh, so if you haven't seen that sketch, you don't know this. The, the guy playing Sulu is the guy that played Sulu throughout every Saturday Night Live sketch ever. So oh, really? When like, Shatner, like the heavy guy on Restaurant Enterprise yes, or whatever it was? that is like, him. Just bring him back for the that? The exact same guy. I think he was on the writing oh, staff of the original okay. SNL. Now it makes more sense. Yeah. Okay. And so, <laughs> yeah, like when um, when Patrick Stewart hosted... Mm-hmm. And he's like, Sulu, take their luggage. And it's that same guy right. picking up the luggage and walking <laughs> off. But yeah, he was in that original Belushi nice. sketch uh, of the original um, Captain Kirk Enterprise. And that was that. Was that. So yeah, that's cool. So, so then, he, what was that, like late 70s? When when did that sketch? Yeah. yeah, probably some somewhere in the 70s. I mean, check like that out. Yeah. 76 or 78, I think. I don't okay. know. But while Belushi was still on the show... Uh, but it's funny that he would go because he was done with Saturday Night Live before he passed away. So I don't know what he was looking to do with his Shatner impersonation uh, after he left SNL. I don't know. Yeah, who knows? I, I don't, uh, you know, I mean, all I know is that I know that they were working on Ghostbusters. Right. So. Oh, maybe he was going to do a line like Shatner in, in Ghostbusters. Yeah, I don't know. something like that. So mm-hmm. I'm looking forward to the Ghostbusters movie. I know they had to reschedule it for March. Right. So we yeah. just, my daughter and I just started playing the game again um, on the Wii. Um, you know, the one that came out oh, about yeah. 10 years ago. I, I think love the Wii version. That. Yeah. Yeah. So I've read a lot of articles about that too. And, you know, that was, that is actually Ghostbusters 3. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Ackroyd has come out and I guess he and, and Ramus um, kind of wrote the basic plot of that mm-hmm. game and lent their voices and so forth. All the original All cast. the original characters mm-hmm. and, and, you know, they somehow, for whatever reason in the studio, couldn't get the movie made, mm-hmm. but they turned it into the game. So that is really your Ghostbusters 3 for the diehards And you have there. Bill Murray as Peter Venkman, yeah. which we thought we would never see, and we really haven't seen since Ghostbusters 2. Right. You know, so yeah, that's... If but you he's in this see, new one. He's in this new one as Venkman. As Venkman, yeah. That's cool. Every Everybody's back, except for, obviously, Egon Harold Ramis, yeah. who passed away, and then I guess Rick Moranis decided... Not to do it, maybe the part right. was too small, but I I know he's been acting here and there. Um, yeah. Well, it was only very recent that that um, that uh, blank Rick, Rick Moranis. Rick Moranis. Yeah. That Rick Moranis agreed to even start performing again. Mm-hmm. Like he was out of the limelight. Um, sometime after Honey, I Shrunk the Kids' series, he well, I guess he had a tragedy where his wife had passed away, mm-hmm. so he decided he would be a dedicated father. If his children were not going to live with their mother, then he would be a present father. So, I mean, you got to commend the guy. Absolutely. He walked away from a huge amount of money and fame just to dedicate himself as a father. So, it's as we're both fathers, so we mm-hmm. can draw inspiration from that. It's amazing. Absolutely. Um, but it's it's cool that he's doing anything. So, I'm, I'm sorry that he didn't do Ghostbusters sequel, but, you know, we'll see something from him in the near future, I think. Yeah, I heard that he's. Um, I think he was trying to get back and do some Second City stuff. And then, oh, very cool. Um, I also heard that he was working on some sort of. Not sure if it's a sequel, reboot, something to do with Honey I Shrunk the Kids, though. Okay, cool. Um, that's coming out. I, I think it's called Shrunked or 
shrinking or something like that, but they're doing some sort of either reboot, sequel, and I know he's somehow involved with that. So. Anytime you see these actors from, you know, that you remember from your childhood, you're thinking, oh, it would be great if they reprised characters. Like, we, we you know, Lewis Tully, we want him to come back as Ghostbusters, but he's not. But, like, if he's reuniting with anyone from Second City, he could do all these SCTV characters that he did mm-hmm. um, with, the, you know, most of those people are still alive. Uh, obviously, Harold Ramis isn't, but he's got Dave Thomas and Eugene Levy and Joe Flaherty and mm-hmm. Andrea Martin, C- Catherine O'Hara. That, that'd be awesome to see all those guys perform together again. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Hopefully we can get a reunion going. Mm-hmm. So. Good stuff. Yeah. Thanks for having me again. All right. It was a pleasure. Thank you for coming by. And uh, for those of you listening, please do subscribe. Tell a friend. And we're here on iTunes. So we'll see you next time. Thank you.